Namaste and welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast where we are exploring the mystical and the mundane and the magic in the present moment, bringing you ancient tools and technologies into modern day living, yoga, mythic and healing conversations with expert and visionary powerhouses sharing their stories and secrets with you to help you live an inspired life. My name is Kill Kenny, the host of the Modern Mystic Podcast, and today I am thrilled because we have award-winning author, Mai Toll, with us again, people. So Maya Toll is amazing, and she's an award-winning author of her most recent book called Letting Magic In. She's also written the Night School and the Wild Wisdom series. After pursuing an undergraduate degree at the University of Michigan and a master's at New York University, Maya apprenticed with a traditional healer in Ireland, where she spent extensive time growing cycles of plants, the alchemy of medicine making, and the psycho-spiritual aspects of healing, learning all the above. She is the co-owner of the retail store Herbiary with locations in Asheville, North Carolina and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You can find more info on her website, mayatoll.com. Maya, welcome to the Modern Mystic Podcast and welcome back because you are only, I think, the second guest I've ever invited back because your episode called Healing and Connection Through Plant Medicine, Herbalism, and Earth-Based Practices, number 30, was so well-received. Our audience just ate it up, and it's still one of the top ones. So I'm so thrilled to have you back. I am so thrilled to be back. This is I, I'm, I've been really excited about this interview. You know, I'm kind of doing the interview rounds, and not everyone gives good interview, but Kilkenny talking to you is always dreamy. So I'm thrilled to be here. Well, high honor, and I love your your wit, your wisdom, your wily mind, and now you have written a memoir. So I want to get into that, but I'm curious because now you're back and you've midwifed a memoir, and of course, all of us, hopefully, if we're on the conscious living path, right, it's like that spiral where we might be at the same point. I'm going to ask you one question that I always ask all my guests, but now there'll be a different vantage point. So what does it mean to you in this moment to be a modern mystic? Mm. It's so interesting. I should have gone back and, and listened to what I said last time. <laughs> you know, for me, it's it's always about connection. It's always about being able to sense beyond your own skin. And I think that we do that in a variety of ways at various points in our lives. But at the foundation, connection is the key word for me. In Letting Magic In, I use the metaphor of a spider web. And that, you know, that sense of being able to sit in the center of the web and feel out in different directions. And I think that that's what mysticism is. It's that ability to feel in and to feel out in a myriad of diff- different directions. Mm. Mm. Well, I love that metaphor that you use in your book. And it's so gorgeous, apropos of what you're saying about that ability of the modern mystic to feel in and yet feel without, which is a theme of your book, one of them for sure. And the web, of course, seems invisible, right? I love that because like, you know, that feeling when you wake up in the morning and if you go outside, 
a lot of our friends, you know, are into plant medicine and herbalism and you're a a preeminent herbalist too, right? And you walk in your garden or wherever you're walking in the woods and and all of a sudden you hit the spider web and you didn't even see it, right? (laughs) But then you feel it. And I feel like it's this perfect metaphor because that's what so often I think happens to people with their spirituality, with their psycho-spiritual practices or with their, you know, spiritual awakenings that all of a sudden they're in life and they hit this thing and it seems gooey and you want to get it off you, right? Or if it feels confusing, but it's that magical moment where the things that seem invisible and maybe not real, you realize they're actually real. And so that cobweb, right, is so perfect. And your book is so much about that. Kill Candy, I just have to call this out because it's so... It's so spot on, that like sticky feeling, and you want to get it off you. It's like you're on a spiritual path. You are trying to step into a different state of consciousness. And yet when it happens, a lot of times we want to get it off us. It's not what we expected. It's not what we thought we wanted. It's not in the form that we were looking for. And we want to get it off us. It's really part of the reason that I wanted to write a narrative instead of a book that's more like my my previous books, because I think that that push me, pull you, we go through with our spiritual practices that like, I want it, I don't want it, I want it, I don't want it. Ooh, this is uncomfortable. It's very hard in a book that's just kind of giving you the rah-rah, cheer you forward through this process to acknowledge the ambivalence we all feel when things get sticky and icky and tough, when you get a cobweb in the face. So true. And it's even apropos, you know, we were talking a little bit personally before we hit the record button. And I know even with my work, it's turned into a lot of mentoring and coaching. I have a program called Vibrant Venus Elite Coaching. And I've had two clients this week as we've unpacked, you know, practices to help them connect more deeply to the mystery and the magic in practical ways, bring it back into their life. They, both of them were sharing the resistance and how it's fun at first, but now they feel like, oh my God, I've opened up these things and it felt like the honeymoon period, but now it's hard again. Am I backtracking? And I'm like, no, this is the moment, right? Like any good relationship, any relationship that we've had, that's sustainable and long-term that we're devoted to, right? We know there's going to be resistance, challenges, stickiness, muckiness that comes up. And any relationship that we have in our life that's worth having, if you look back at it, there's some harder points and that's the time to keep going, right? Yeah. And you know, the truth is the only way through is left foot, right foot through. And so when you hit those mucky moments, you're already in the middle, you know, so if yes. you if you backtrack, you still have to go through. You just have to go through the wrong direction. So if you're going to go through, you might as well keep moving up the sacred spiral instead of sliding back down the staircase. That's so good, and it's and it's a sign, like you said, of being halfway through or whatever percentage through. And so it's not a sign, friends who are listening, who are like, oh, I had the spiritual awakening, or I had all this magic happening, but then all this cloaking is happening, and it feels hard. That's not a sign that you're doing anything wrong, or that the practices aren't working. It's actually probably a sign that they're working just 
just fine. And like Maya said, to keep going, to keep going. It's awesome. Well, in your book, so let's talk there because I was so fascinated to hear about your journey and, you know, your journey, of course, from becoming an herbalist and then becoming an author, which was my initial intention to speak to. And then when I read your delicious book, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Actually, the journey begins when you're a child going to camp and then how you went from experiencing a lot of, I think, you know, common things that people experience throughout their young adulthood, et cetera, and how that really led you to the merging and recognition and marrying of the mundane world, so to speak, and the modern world, so to speak, and then the mythical worlds, which you straddle so beautifully in all of your work. But could you talk about that, please? How you decided to write about that and how writing is this catalyst for expressing this combination of the mythical and the mundane. You know, it's really interesting because Letting Magic In, the memoir, is the book I've been trying to write since 2016. Oh, really? Yeah. So the the initial version of the memoir had small write-ups about the plants at the top of every chapter. For those of you who are familiar with the herbiary, those those small write-ups became the herbiary. So I started working on the memoir and I realized that I I didn't have the chops yet, that it was like gonna take me a really long time to kind of get to the the place where I could tell this story and the way that I wanted to. And so I was watching people really respond to those little plant write-ups, and I was like, oh, but these plant write-ups are kind of good. Like they're good already. They're good little bite-sized chiclets that I can can offer right now and then continue on this journey of trying to figure out how to tell this larger story. A couple things were really important to me. It was important to me to tell this as a narrative. And like my agent, even my editor, were trying to steer me towards like a less narrative format of nonfiction. You know, we have a lot mm-hmm. of nonfiction now that's short bites or it's exercises that are kind of telling you how to do something. And I needed the narrative so that like you could see me walking into the spider web. So you could see me getting goo in my face and reacting so that when you have that reaction, you have a context and you're like, oh, it's okay. There's another side. Like we keep going and something something different happens. So that was the first thing. But the other thing is that so many spiritual memoirs are like almost unreadable. People are so in the mystic and not in the modern, right? Not in, yeah. not in mundania, that the stories are ungrounded and very, really hard to relate to. And I wrote some of that stuff five years ago and six years ago, like in trying to get to this and trying to figure out how to tell the story in a way that was like grounded in a body, having an earthly experience and going to Starbucks and, you know, filling the gas tank at at the gas station and like doing all the everyday things we do, having roommates and lovers and friends traipsing in and out. All of that is is a part of our journey and it doesn't always seem apparent. You know, we, we sequester the moments that feel super magical or feel super mystical from the rest of our lives. And there, 
they're not sequestered. They're they're woven in. They're braided through. So I I wanted to show full full cloth what this experience and journey felt like. Yeah. Yeah. And you did that so well. And and that's so much of the intention I hold with this podcast, just what you're saying, right? The mystical and the mundane, the magic in the present moment. So often we have these amazing moments or workshops or epochs of time where everything is in the flow and, and all that. And they're incredible and they can be great catalysts for growth. However, and what I loved about your book and what I try to offer here in this forum on the podcast are how we don't have to wait for those moments and how the mystical is in the mundane. The magic is in the present moment, but often we have to figure out practices and ways to align with it when it's not pouring and flowing towards us. How can we start to move and align with those moments? One of the things that I really appreciated about your book is your exploration of the body. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that more and how even like going to your acupuncturist, you started having more transcendental experiences, but so much of it, as you wrote about so eloquently, was how the body, and you have all this Virgo in your chart, you you mentioned. (laughs) I have a lot of earth. I'd love to see your chart. And that's the beauty of earth and the beauty of embodiment, right? Is that our body, at least in my experience, I'm a tantrika yogi and a lot of our audience are Buddhists and tantrikas, and how the body is not a bummer and something to try to escape, but how the body can be this GPS to lead us to the mystical. So would you mind speaking about that, please, a little bit for our listeners who haven't you know, most of whom won't have read your book because it just came out and just your own experience (laughs) in life of how, how the body is this real amazing GPS to lead us towards the mythical and mystical. Yeah. I, I think that we somehow have the notion that intuition exists in our brain that like, you know, our connection to the magic of the world is through our mind and so, and, and some of this is how those of us in this world speak. We say, I, I saw something or I heard something. And so we're using language that allows one to suspect that uh, information that's incoming is coming in through the usual channels, right? And our usual channels are seeing, hearing, smelling, taste, And then it goes up into our brain and our brain translates it. What I've really come to to appreciate is that my true inner knowing doesn't come from any of those senses, nor does it come from my mind. You know, usually if I am actually hearing words, that's just my brain talking to itself. Like, you know, if I hear the words, hey, Maya, Hop off the exit here. You know, maybe you don't want to stay on the highway anymore. That's that's most likely my brain trying to have an intuitive moment, right? That's my brain being like, like, okay, I'm so cool. I know that something might have happened up ahead on the highway. So here we go. I'm hopping off. If, on the other hand, I suddenly have like a little bit of nausea, or my eyes keep tracking to the exit sign, even though it's not my exit. I 
that's what I pay attention to, right? That's a different mm. kind of knowing. It's a knowing that's being fed through the physicality of me. And the way I think about this is we're constantly taking in information from the world around us. There are some senses that we have, like we've named that information. We've named sight. We've named hearing. But there are are many more avenues through which we are grabbing information. And you have nerve endings all over your skin, and they're just feeling the air all the time. What's going on? You know, we don't we don't think of our skin as being able to like read barometric pressure and things like that, but it can. Yeah. So you're you're taking in information all the time. We don't have the words and the mental capacity to translate it into um, the avenues we're used to, right? Like it comes into it comes into us, and we don't have those pre-carved pathways like we do for hearing or for sight. Something comes in through your eyes, and your brain pretty instantly knows what it is. That's a pathway we've been using since we were quite young, hearing, same thing. But when we're just kind of feeling something in, in our energy body or on our skin as a, a sensing organ as opposed to feeling pain or touch, we don't really have that instant pathway. So it comes in and it swirls around within us and like we know it's there and it's affecting us, but we don't ha- we don't have language. So when I'm getting information that's pre-verbal or non-verbal, that's the information that I kind of go, oh, hold on a sec. I need to I need to pay closer attention to that. That's not my monkey mind just having a, like chattery stuff with itself about how intuitive it is and how it's going to give me this magical moment by getting me off the highway before I like you know. I get stuck in traffic or whatever. I know for me, when I pay attention, my mind is always trying to have little intuitive moments. It's magic seeking, right? And so it's kind of always, always telling me like, ooh, ooh, pay attention to this. Ooh, the phone rings. Ooh, that's so-and-so, you know? And it's like my brain is making it up to try to, to give me the moment as opposed to opening up and allowing information from other sources to come in. And so I've, you know, I try to differentiate between those two things because my brain will lead me astray over and over again if Mm -hmm. I let it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I love how you spoke about, you know, noticing, okay, are your, do your eyes keep tracking to the exit sign? Or can you give another concrete example or two of ways that you know you're superseding the mind, quote unquote, I would, my verbiage would be the ego, like when the ego wants to take over. Cause a lot of us, like you're saying, like people who are seeking spirituality and magic all the time, I'm, I'm one of them like voracious. Okay. What are the signs? What are this? What are that? Right. And that nuance you're speaking of, of that distinction between the receiving of information as opposed to hijacking yourself as the main control panel, uh, offering that information out, aka the ego. So what are, yeah, what are other strategies that you would offer that so you feel in your me, body? Yeah. For me, a lot of um, incoming information becomes physical. So I'm always looking for like, if I get nauseous, that's a, that's a yeah. good one for me. If I get a flash headache, you know, that's something I pay attention to. If my hands start shaking, yeah. you know, these... These physical signs that 
something, something's going on. And then oftentimes I have to figure out what's going on. Right. And that's that moment where you kind of engage the mind with, with what you're feeling. That's a tricky moment too, because it's really easy to start trying to like put an overlay on it. Right. Oh, I'm nauseous because instead Mm -hmm. of kind of inquiring into what am I feeling? When did it start? Like, you know, being a detective instead of being a dictator. Mm, that's so good. Being a detective instead of being a dictator, right? Translating it as opposed to gently investigating and and trying to allow it to allow the sensations to open up wider. Yes, I always I talk about that, and I love that you use that word. Instead of getting, I feel like often one thinks of in our society is like a vertical self, like the wider self, like the wider. I'm always talking about that concept. I love that you use that word too. It's like expanding out circumferentially, not just like vertically up and down kind of. I love that. And, And do you find that, you know, when you have these sensations that the body offers you, I get ringing in my ears. For you, you're describing nausea or like, you know, the hand sweating or things like that. Is that for all experiences to pay attention to or those more experienced that are that one might label more negative or contractive do you get the same sensations in your body for uplifting and expanded experiences as well or things to move towards or do you get different more quote-unquote pleasant sensations in your body oh that's a great question i definitely get more pleasant sensations i tend to have more of like the the heart opening sensation yeah you know when there's something i should be moving toward that kind of sense of expansion around the heart or the solar plexus, you know, that, that sense of opening. It's interesting. I I actually had this experience just the other day. A friend of mine is a jeweler and she released a new jewelry line and she's, she's absolutely amazing. If anyone wants to just see gorgeous work, her name's Savannah King. And she trained in New York city at a school that does all old world uh, goldsmithing techniques. So like what would wow. have come out of Egypt and Rome and ancient Greece. And she, d- she does all handwork and it is stunning. So when she releases a new collection, I always look, I rarely even consider buying because gold. And I was just scrolling through and I saw a pendant. I mean, it clenched my heart. I can't even say it grabbed my heart. It clenched my heart. And I had almost a sense of hyperventilating a little bit. And I was so like stunned and shocked. I mean, I was, you know, I'm scrolling y'all. I'm just scrolling. And all of a sudden (laughs) I'm in this moment. I walked away from my computer and I came back a few hours later and I had the same experience and I sat with it and I started sobbing Mm. and like and i felt such a tremendous like opening through you know my heart my middle chakras like everything just felt like it was blowing open like i i knew that this was a talisman that was meant for me that it was medicine for me and that's obviously a very different sensation than the than the nausea and things but it was just as intense i mean it, this was this was not you know a little like oh i think i might feel good you know, yeah. it was, this was a internal tsunami. I love that. Well, the body is a divination tool, right? So, you know, a lot of people love, and you do, you're a creator of, we talked about it last time, fantastic 
tarot cards. I love your oracle cards. The pendulums and all those tools that can be amazing, but there's no greater and more cheap tool and freer than your own physical body, right? And are so, you know, as you're speaking to so beautifully and profoundly, the body, if we start paying more and more attention to the body, and that's how I think of it, being a modern mystic and even why I'm, you know, for 18 years teach yoga because it's like the body is this way in to all the invisible realms. And so again, we don't have to bypass the body. The more we pay attention to the body and its sensations, it can really act as this legend on the map of our journey of life. So I love that. Thank you for giving such, you know, concrete examples. And yeah, people listening, start to, you know, for 24 hours, make a pact with yourself. Like, okay, I'm going to really, in the next 24 hours, pay attention to as many sensations in my body as possible, as if I'm new to my body. And see where that leads you in the way of your choices. It's a really profound practice. I love how you spoke about the chakras in your book, even. And I know you talked about them as being like this midpoint between the physical, you know, and the non-physical. Those listeners, I, I have a whole series on each chakra and then the whole chakra system itself. So friends who haven't heard that series can listen. Many people will be familiar with the chakras. And that's such an incredible map. What are some other maps, if you have any, because chakras are, again, really detailed in their architecture and can help us kind of conceptualize very abstract things into concrete things in our bodies and in our psyches. Do you have any other maps that you like to use other than the chakra system to think about connecting the unseen and seen worlds in a way that feels really practical and easeful? Oftentimes, and this is less of a map and probably more of a practice, but I like to try to tune into the edges of my own energy field. So that sense of like pushing them out, pulling them in, you know, because that's the thin membrane between me and everything beyond me. So I I like to experiment and explore with that and just kind of see like, where is my energy right now? You know, what is it connected to? What is it not connected to? Is it expanding? Is it contracting? And just noticing, I I, I picture it like a plasma bubble around myself. <laughs> you know, like That's like I'm great. bubble girl walking through life. <laughs> yes. You know, That's- right? And sometimes that bubble gets pulled in close and sometimes it gets pushed out further. I try to drop in and connect with the earth, connect up with the heavens, the stars, um, the solar energy. And so like all these different ways that I can extend and expand my little plasma circle is something that, that I work with quite a bit. And, and for me, that's like, that's an easy thing. Like I can be futzing with that at a stoplight. You know what I mean? Like when we talk about really keeping this daily, we're not like, I am not sitting in a corner chanting and ringing a gong and doing this. (laughs) You know, I'm walking my dogs and kind of being like, huh, I'm feeling like my, my energy feels depleted. Like, oh, where, like, where is it? How is it? You know, can I kind of Reinfuse it from the world around me? Can I reinfuse it from letting in some sunlight and just in different moments 
what's the tonic? What's the, what's the medicine for how my energy is feeling and just exploring like what, what those things might be. That That's so great. And I'm so passionate too about just all those mundane moments and as many of them as possible when we have the time to play with how we're feeling energetically, psychologically, because of course there's that overlay of the psychological with the energetics. And that's a great, really practical example. So thank you so much, right? Paying attention to where you feel like your energy is expanding out from your body and then the parameter of that, where it's ending and then, you know, growing it, contracting it and noticing, like you said, oh, when I add sunlight, what does that feel like? Oh, if I, at night, full moon in a few days. What if I went out for two minutes? What does that feel like? When I pet my dog, what does my energy feel like? When I talk to, you know, fill in the blank, oh, what does my energy feel like, right? And then starting to play with that, that idea of replenishing your energy versus depleting the energy or the input versus the output in this psycho-spiritual way. So such a brilliant example. Thank you for that. Now yeah, on to and- words. You know what? Yes. Let me just throw in one more thing, Kilkenny, because if 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 people are interested in that, like the next step for the, with with that process for me is just keep an eye out for leaks. You know, like the little hole in the tire. And if you like, if you feel like you're a balloon and something's hissing out, notice that like where it corresponds on your body. What metaphorically does that mean for you or actually, you know what I mean? Like if you twisted your knee and you feel like there's an energy leak in that area, um, that's probably just pure physical, not even metaphysical. So yeah. That's really, really good. Really, really good. Thank you for that, that add on for sure. Huge. So let's talk about more words and language because you're such a (laughs) a wordsmith and a language Jedi and I'm just obsessed with words. And I know even on your social, which you often have these words that I've never heard of, which you're like, I think the only person I can think of who uses words that I haven't heard of, you know, where like this word you'll have on your posts and stuff. So can we talk please about the power of language? And I'm curious your thoughts, sentiments on, you know, and any really elucidation on the power of language from a psycho-spiritual perspective, i.e. what are your views on blessings, hexing, cursing even, and the energy that language holds and how you work with it and think about it? Mm, I love this. I'm going to answer this while we go for a walk because my dog is using her language and she's like, I got stuck outside. Come (laughs) get me. So I, I adore language. I adore language on a lot of different levels. Like some of what you're talking about is just pure love of words and the, the way they feel in your mouth and the way they sound (laughs) when you say them. But Beyond that, language is one of our most amazing metaphysical tools, you know, and it's one of the oldest metaphysical tools. If you go back to the oldest religious and spiritual text, you know, first there was the word. We need to name things in order to understand them. That's like fundamental to how we create our reality. You know, I think we've seen this a lot lately with the the desire to change the meaning of words and to add new words to 
the everyday, you know, the everyday use. Like we're seeing this a lot with people exploring words for gender, right? Because if you if you don't have a word for it, then it's hard to know that that thing exists. So we we have to name things. And if you if you go back to like the fantasy novels from the 60s and 70s, you know, a very common trope is that the wizard knows the names of things. Mm-hmm. And that if you can name something truly, then you have power over it. You can control it. If you can name yeah. someone, you know, so if you go back to like these early fantasy books and stuff over and over again, the, the king, the wizard, the powerful people do not reveal their true name. Because by revealing your true name, you're giving up a modicum of control. Somebody else can can call you, right? Like we summon demons by knowing their true name. So language language is a tool, but it it is also the thing that pulls something from the realm of ideas, from the metaphysical into the physical. Mm. Until it has until it has a name, until there is language around it, it's still kind of in that that half form, in that dreamy, not quite here. But as soon as we name it, it becomes concrete. So language is an incredible tool. And you know, for for people who are exploring what's now thought of as the more witchy side of things, and wondering like what the heck a spell is. All all a spell is, is putting words to an intention to make it concrete. That's what a spell is, right? It's pulling something from the ethers, giving it language so that it has power, so that it has vibration because words have vibration and so that it has substance, yeah, so good. And that's the same thing, you know, with when you hear vexing and, and all the things, you're speaking to the the truth that language does have power. In the yoga and Buddhist traditions, I don't know if you've heard of this term, but it's called the matrika shakti, right? And it's this acknowledgement that words, as you said, are vibration and vibration contains power and energy. And when we, as you said, craft and hone it with our intention and specificity of languaging and syllables, then things become and are made manifest. And I love how you talked about the tropes and and in so many legends, even opera, there's like an opera about like, you know, the, the name and exactly if you know someone's name, it's powerful and there's so many things I want to say about your answer. It's so fun talking to you. But one of the things I don't want to forget is what's so interesting about your book, which I didn't know, is that how you changed your name. So yes, how cool, interesting is that? And maybe let's dive into that a little bit. Your claiming and declaration, I think how you put it was starting fresh and kind of severing for you childhood expectations. So but I'd love to hear it in your own words and and your feeling about that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because in many older cultures, there there was a time where you left your childhood name behind and you took a new name. And, Mm. you know, my family is Jewish. And in the bar and bat mitzvah ceremony, now you're, you're just like given your quote Hebrew name. So basically what they do is they take your American name, and they um, find the closest 
Hebrew name to it. And they say, you are now, you know, Miriam. And I'm like, great, thanks. Um, but <laughs> but I think that this tra- tradition came from taking on an adult name. What are you going to be called as an adult in the community? And it's it's an opportunity that we d- we no longer really have. You know, the closest thing we have is um, when women get married, taking their husband's name, which is not quite the same thing now, is it? No. So uh, this idea of being able to choose who you are going to be moving forward instead of being the, the person your parents designated you to be at birth, right, with that naming, is a, a really powerful moment. And especially because words have vibration, especially because words are identifiers. Like, you know, I, I never felt resonant with my name. And so when mm-hmm. I introduced myself to people, I felt out of resonance. Like in that moment of mm. reaching to shake someone's hand, I didn't feel like I was giving them like a, a true resonance. I felt like I was almost saying something false right at the beginning of every relationship. Mm. And people couldn't remember my name, which was fascinating. Really? I would always Because it was a common I, oh, yeah. name, right? I it mean, was a very common name. Yeah. But I would I would always joke huh. that I had name sheer. You know, I'd say, I'd I'd say, hi, I'm Michelle. And they'd say, oh, so nice to meet you, Molly. And I'd say, no, I said Michelle. And they'd say, oh, I'm so sorry, Melissa. And I'd be like, okay, whatever, I give up. It was interesting for me because I'm old enough that my parents did not know what sex I was going to be when I was born. And Mm -hmm. they were expecting a boy. I don't know why, but they were expecting a boy. So the name they had chosen was Michael. Okay. And then I had to pop out. I popped out and they had to quickly, you know, reverse course and figure something else out. <laughs> like, I think there was a slipperiness from, from word go. My, my parents chose the name Michelle. And then my mom changed the spelling. Like, I have a couple of different birth certificates because she would change the spelling and reorder the birth certificate. There was a slipperiness about the whole gig right out of the gate, you know, like it wasn't <laughs> yeah. going to stick. It was pretty obvious if you were reading the signs. That's really interesting. And it's so interesting because I'm a psychic medium. And when I was taught decades ago, right, to connect to people and and people who have passed, which I act as a channel to do and comes to me, it was always calling on that person's name. You know, that's how, that's the technique to do it. If and when they show up is another story, but they often do. But it's so interesting because there have been times where people have changed their name and I didn't know that or the person didn't know that. And so when I'm calling them in by a name, you know, somebody else has shown up and I'm kind of like, thank you so much for coming. And this happens, you know, in readings. Okay, thank you. But like, I'm focusing on this other person. And then all of a sudden it's found out later or during the reading, they're like, oh, but wait, they actually were named, you know. They, they claimed a different name for themselves. And if someone claims a different name as you did, then their birth name often doesn't call them because they've done that radical act of taking the sword and know this is who I am energetically. So it's a really interesting thing you're talking about, you know, when you do that journey, which you did of changing the name, how you really aligned your vibration with your soul and who you are at your core essence and so that's really intrinsically connected to you, you know, and that's what I've experienced, not so much the name given at birth for people who claim their names and change them. So that's yeah, really interesting. Yeah. 
And, you, you know, it's funny. My husband always jokes because there is no one who works for us practically whose name that they're called matches the name that's like on their paperwork for, for paying them and things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the, I have to say that there, there's something to be said for um, going through all the legal hoops, which are a royal pain in the rear end. But until I did that, I kept fussing with my name. Like it was like clothing that didn't quite fit. And so, you know, I would, I would be, be like changing my nicknames and like every time I started a new job, I'd try on a new nickname or, you know, and going through the process of um, legally changing my name, it created a solidity for myself, like not, I, not for everyone else. I mean, it did for everyone else, obviously, but within myself, it, it landed, it became, it became a thing of earth. It was written on legal documents. It was no longer mm-hmm. a thing of air in my head or, mm-hmm. you know, a thing of fire, a passion, or a thing of water, an emotion just of the moment. It was a thing of earth. It it was solid and it was it was stone. And it gave me something to rest on. Yeah. And with all your earth and your chart, that's important for you. I love how that you felt that resonance, needing that earthy, consecrated in writing in a file cabinet somewhere, your name that felt really life enhancing and empowering to you. And, and it was at a pivotal moment in your journey too, right? Where after that, then you went to Ireland and really claimed your herbalism, correct? Like at that moment, it seemed like in the book. So it's really that it seemed like a, a, a real representation of really moving towards and embracing your chosen destiny. So that was really a cool thing. Now, people listening, it might be that, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to change that name, but their soul or their self, you know, their inner self might feel a little sparky and excited. And so if you're feeling that, you know, there are other ways you can do it without legally doing it. You know, you can take on a warrioress or a warrior name or like I have a name that I I have um, with, I, I don't really want to say it publicly, but someone very close to me when I'm in the water and like, we have a certain name, like when, cause I'm a surfer and I love the ocean and I'm like a water priestess goddess. And so I have a certain name. So you can also play with that, um, listeners and just like try on, you know, a name when you're in a certain place in nature or doing a certain activity, if you feel called to do that. And that can really help again, the power of language kind of claim and pull forth in a consecrated way, a part of yourself more fully and activate a part of yourself, I think, as well. You know, just hearing you say that, Kilkenny, I I think that when you have like different names for different parts of your life and therefore parts of yourself, there's a melange happening. Like your like your your primary name is like the umbrella and you have these mm other other parts of yourself because we all have multiple parts of our, ourselves when you go through a legal process of changing your name you're changing the tent i would i would say that if you are a person who feels like you have multiple parts of yourselves and they all kind of need to be called a little differently to kind of call yourself together call the collective of you you probably don't want to change your name but if you're having trouble connecting with that that like the larger tent, 
to call all those other pieces into, then that's when you might want to like take the more drastic action because you really do sever yourself from an old vibration. And if you're not wanting that severing, you know what I mean? Like if your if your main vibration just needs like to be able to sometimes put on some party clothes or, you know, mm-hmm. um, or put a cloak on to go off into the woods, then that's a different thing, I think, than that sense of like, I need to sever from an energetic that's just not working for me and yeah. step into a, a different energetic entirely with my whole being. Totally. Totally. Thank you for making that distinction for sure. It's so important. Now I'm curious with, with being a writer, if you would speak to, for those friends listening who want to become writers, because I think a lot of people do or have written little things. I know I've written, I have a project that I've been working on for a while. Some tips of, of how to move forward if they feel stuck or if they haven't started. And then also, I guess this is really a second question, but for those friends who don't really want to actually become a writer, but maybe use writing as a spiritual practice, some ideas for that. So two, two, two avenues. Let me just, let me just clarify your question. So when you say um, for folks who are wanting to become a writer, are you talking about being published or are you talking about, you know, just the act of writing? I think the p- people who want to be published or take it more seriously, because there are a lot of people I know who are like a lot, like people actually, now that I'm a podcaster all the time say to me, oh my God, I want to start a podcast. Like so many people have this interior fantasy. And I think it's similar to being a writer. Like I've had a lot of people, you know, and I don't know if that happens to you because you're a writer, say to you, like they say to me as a podcaster, oh, I've always wanted to write something. But I feel like you know, people, particularly in our stratospheres, have and hold those two dreams a lot. So, yeah. 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 So what I would say to start is I used to be a teacher. I, I taught elementary school. And teaching is a separate skill from what you are teaching, right? So being a good teacher is one thing. And then you can be a good teacher and be you know, horrible at math, but still find a way to like teach at the level that you're teaching because you're a good teacher. If you're not a good teacher and you're horrible at math, well, you know, <laughs> then, then we're in, then we're in really bad shape. It's kind of the same thing with writing. Like writing is a skill in and of itself. And then there's whatever you're writing about. I think that people just mash it all together and in order to be like truly good at this, you you need two things. You need, first of all, to get good at writing. It's a skill set. Not everybody takes the time to get good at it. I mean, you know, the the tools of a writer are words and sentences and paragraphs and chapters, metaphors and similes. Like there there are tools and skill sets that belong to the writer. And then you have to write about something. So, you know, what is your area of expertise? What are the things that you have taken the time to learn about? That would put you in a a nonfiction realm. And then we also have 
the fiction realm, right? Like if you're a teller of stories. For me personally, I always wanted to be a fiction writer, but I never had that moment where something um, sparked a story in me. So I had this desire to write stories, but <laughs> but I wasn't like there. There were no characters. There was no setting. There was just the desire because I love fiction to to do that thing. So for me, nonfiction, where I am using my skill as a writer, but talking about things that that I actually know about is is what was most comfortable. So so that's first with writing is just this idea of like if you love books, if you're like, "Oh my god, I I love reading." And that's why you want to be a writer. Think about whether you actually love writing. Cuz if you don't love mm-hmm. writing, it's a lot of work. Yeah. So, you know, if if what you're instead saying is, "I have a lot of ideas and I want to get them out in the world." then think about what the best form of getting them out is. Is it, is it writing? Is it a podcast? Is it, you know, social media? Like there are lots of ways to get your ideas out into the world. If you, if you don't actually love playing with words and sentences and paragraphs, then, you know, think about what this attraction to, to writing is. It's, it's okay to be an, a voracious reader. There's nothing wrong with that. Like you don't have to become a writer because you're a reader. So, so wise, um, so many wise things you just <laughs> said. Thank you. Really, really good. And what about people who want to use writing or are interested in exploring the written word as spiritual practice? What are ways that you do that if you do it or yeah. ways that you could recommend? So one of my favorite practices, well, I have a lot, I have a lot of favorite practices that kind of incorporate writing. But when it comes to that idea of like connection, how how do we connect? I love to set an intention at the top of a page. Like I want to connect with the energy of my grandma. And then I do what's called free writing. I set a timer, usually 10 minutes, and I just write whatever comes to mind. Usually the first three minutes are gobbledygook. Usually the first three minutes are me being like, you know, this is bullshit. This doesn't work. I don't know why I'm doing this. I'm wasting my time. And then, you know, if you just stick with it, something begins to shift. Depending on how structured I'm feeling, like especially if I'm trying to connect with a person or a plant energy or an animal energy, I might set up the scenario where like if they were writing a letter to me, what would it say? And then I can start like Dear Maya and that sometimes gets me going. But, oh, that's um, interesting. I love that. Yeah, like using it, using writing as a way of, you know, I was talking earlier about how all this energy is coming in from the world around you, but we don't have a way of translating it. And so in that moment saying, okay, I am channeling what I'm feeling energetically through my hand, through my pen onto the page and allowing yourself to write, you know, for whatever energy you're trying to connect with. So that's that's one exercise I love. Another is I do a lot of write and burn. So when I just need to get something out of me, I write it down, burn it. If I really need to make it gone, I bury the the ashes. You know, if you think of it, it's almost like a reverse process, right? Like if the words make <laughs> something um, whole and real and pull it into reality, then you take the words and you burn them and you you like 
disintegrate them and make them unreality. Mm, that's brilliant. That's really brilliant. Yeah. So, and, and then a final exercise along similar lines is if there's something that I want to get rid of, or if, you know, if I'm having issues with, with someone and there's like an energetic impediment, I might write out their name and cross out all the vowels because without, without vowels, like the words fall apart. Mm -hmm. So if you write your name and cross out all the vowels and try to say it, there's not much left. And if we go back to that idea of the chakras, they each have a sound and they're, they're pretty much vowel sounds. So yep. like you're, you're disconnecting the language from your energy system when you take the vowels out. You're, you're pulling the energy from it. So that's, that's another thing I'll play with. Like, especially if I need, need something that I can vocalize, right? Mm -hmm. Because you cross the vowels out and then you, experiment with, with saying the dang thing and it's a hot mess, but you know, <laughs> if you want to express with your voice and really get something out, uh, it gives you an opportunity to, to do that. That's so genius. And I love the idea of crossing out the vowels with, you know, someone, a situation or a person that is, is extra charged because it's like, you're, you're diffusing it. You're literally like breaking some synapses, but you're yet you're keeping the consonants. So you know, you're still like honoring somehow the presence of them in your life, which of course they're there to yeah. teach you, but yet there's, there's like an overcharge and probably, you know, attachment or aversion as the, um, you know, many traditions talk about those two things being the root of our suffering, but I taking out the vows, that's really, really great. Really brilliant. Thank right? you. Those are really practical, brilliant things to, to offer Yay. people in a really concrete <laughs> way. So, so very, very good. And I guess the last thing I just wanted to touch on, and it's sort of near the end of your book, but you know, people who have not read her book, which will be most of you, it's it's such a beautiful sojourn, odyssey, and journey of someone who's very real, very human, very young, and then moving towards this process, I feel like, of coming into a sense of who you, Maya, and you know, as the the protagonist in the story who you are as a adult full-fledged human in the actual practical world and your process of coming to terms with and clarifying who that is for you. And then also weaving, as you talked about with the spider web, weaving through that embodiment and integrating the magical, the spiritual, the, the mystical, so to speak. And at the end of it, towards the end of it, and you know, you have this amazing, interesting life story, and it eventually takes you to Ireland, which I'm really partial to, having Irish descent <laughs> and being an Irish priestess myself, you know, and you studied with your your teacher and you became, you know, this amazing herbalist. And so it's this amazing journey of that in the logistics of what happens to you, and then of course what's happening to you on the inside, which you share so eloquently and, and really, really tenderly and really authentically. And towards the end, you talk about coming into more peace with death through being with birds. And so I thought towards the end of this conversation, even just to give people a little taste of the book and, and the endings of things and the ending of this conversation, that experience for you, because I think death is such a hard thing, you know, particularly as Westerners, you know, you and I are American, you know, death is so obscured and hidden and 
suppressed, I think, in, in our culture. And it's so beautiful how being with the dead birds, you know, you spoke of this coming to terms with and, and peace and understanding of death. So maybe you could talk about that, please, a little bit and give people a taste of the book. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that, that I do say in that in that interlude is I was not a perfect pe- priestess by any stretch. Like, you know, there was a lot of squirming and and discomfort, but I started finding dead birds. This is in Ireland. And at first it was under like a power line that was went across the the pastures behind my teacher's house. And I thought that there was like something wrong with the power line and that, you know, the birds were getting electrocuted. Um, mm. So I, I went to my teacher and I, I said, you know, I found a couple dead birds under the power line and um, like we, we should do something. And, and I'm thinking we should do something like we should call the power company. You know, there's something wrong with the power line. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she said, well, I guess it's time for you to learn to deal with death. What are mm. you going to do? You know? So <laughs> calling the power company was, was not part of the plan apparently. And um, I, I built a cairn, which is like a, an older structure used in Celtic cultures and very similar to structures used in cultures around the world. Basically you want to bury the body under a pile of stone so the wild animals can't get it. Right. So I, I, I started building a cairn and putting the dead birds in and the dead birds just kept, kept coming. It was like, they knew there was the dead bird hotel over, over, uh, in our garden (laughs) and over my time there, this, this Karen got quite large. And I, you know, I think at at different moments, it was different things. You know, there was, there was not one emotional or mental storyline for me, but this became like the temple I was tending and, you know, visiting over and over and over again. And seeing, seeing it from the fit, like the physical, like how am I going to physically move the body of the dead bird to the, to the Karen, like all the way through the, the metaphysical, you know, um, is there still energy here? Does it need to be released or has it released itself? Am I trapping the energy by putting it in the Karen? Like just, you know, all mm. these, all these questions that, I don't think we actually have answers to, but we have to allow ourselves to ask them. We have to allow ourselves to step into the dance of unraveling that that comes, you know, when our physical body is no longer the home for our spiritual body. Like what is what is that? And how are we going to step into that? I feel like all these things are are practice. You know, they're, they're all practice for <laughs> the thing we were promised the moment we were born, which is it, it doesn't last forever. This dance doesn't last forever. So, you know, how how are we going to approach that transition? And I, I don't yeah. think that we, I don't think we can know, but I do think that we can explore with an open heart and, and use these moments when they arise to tune into ourselves and see, see what we can notice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for 
for speaking to that. It was just such a touching part of the book to me. And there are just so many wisdom gems from that. And you just extrapolated on them so beautifully. But I just want to honor, too, how so much about what I love about your work, you know, your different books, your products, as an herbalist, as a oracle card maker, et cetera, is you're really drafting off nature to dive deeper into your own personal life lessons and journey, you know, and you were moving towards something that was happening to you in your life. You weren't like, yeah, you saw, you know, you, you sought out going to Ireland and there are many glamorous parts of that, but that really touched me reading that because it was something that you were more adverse to, to looking at toward to doing. And then in this opportunity, you could have been like, okay, well, I won't call the power company, but you went and did something <laughs> with that even more, you know, you went towards the hardness, you went towards the nature or the lesson it was showing you. And I think that's just such a, a beautiful example of what, you know, we're all um, charged in life to do at times, you know, to look at the harder things, whether it's illness, whether it's death, whether, you know, we're all faced with these things, if we're lucky enough to still be here and then, and then how to, to work with them. Like you said, they're all like a practice run for the ultimate practice. Um, so again, just so many levels to that story. So thank you for sharing. It's really, really gorgeous. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, one of the things that I've just noticed is we like to use nature as a metaphor, but we like to use the growth cycle and we often skip the the decay and the death. So I think it's really important to honor the entirety of, of the cycle. And I, I honestly don't think that you can talk about the growth part of the cycle without honoring the decay and the death part of the cycle. Otherwise, you're actually not really talking about nature. You're talking about totally. some, you know, mystical utopian version of nature. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's like full circle back to where we started. And I forget which author says that you might know that quote. And yet, you know, you're back to where you started and yet you see the place for the very first time. There's a famous author. Yes. Who said that? that? Is it, it's not Descartes. I don't know. It's someone, but it's, it's such a, you know, here we are back to the beginning of the conversation about how, when the spirituality happens and we're ignited on our journeys, how, when the challenges happen, and we're already halfway through, like you said, right? And if we don't go fully through, A, we have to backtrack, and B, we're not facing the ultimate end of it, which is, of course, the beginning. And even back to your spider metaphor, which you talk a lot about in the book, which I didn't know that one type of spider that, like, ingests part of this, the silk, like, it actually yeah. what retracts it back into itself. It, it, so it again, eats it. It right. So yeah, can, yeah it talk eats about the that. web. It's so interesting. So, so yeah, so the spider um, webs are made of protein. And, you know, in the natural world, protein is actually kind of hard to come by, right? Mm. So, right. Um, so the spider will ingest its own web and, like, recycle it, use the protein again. I love that because that's another yeah. metaphor that kind of makes you go, like, yeah, yeah, like interesting, but then it's like oh, so cool. <laughs> interesting I mean, and ew. And I mean, I have I have Pluto, my son, so death and and you know metaphysical and these ingesting themes. You know, I'm I'm a fan <laughs> of. 
Um, they're easier for me than some people, but isn't that like so cool? The spider ingests, right, part of the thread to then recycle it and then, you know, spit it back out and, and spin something beautiful and and helpful to it in the way of getting its food. So it's just so, so many profound teachings in that. Would you mind, Maya, just for like one, two minutes, just closing out our conversation with a benediction or a blessing or anything that you feel moved to share, expanding the your your mm. bubble girl energy, how, whatever? How about if I read a little bit? Yes. Shall Story I, time as practice. Read a little bit? Let's just, because Great I was idea. not ready for this, I'm just going to to open. It's her hardback book book with a jacket, friends listening audio won't be able to see it, <laughs> but I want to honor the feeling of when you're an author and you have a hardback book with a paper jacket, the the celebration of that. So yes, thank you for honoring that because there's something about a jacketed book. It just, it makes you feel like a real author. So, um, so, okay. So this is interesting. I opened to a page where I'm, I'm, I'm working with a massage therapist and I am realizing that that um, old stories and old sensations and emotions are actually stored in my in my muscle memory, in my fascia. Laying on the table, I recalled the sensation of being upside down, of gripping the bar, of flipping my legs, ready to bring them over. And then I felt my left hand give, saw the ground rushing up, felt the dark, felt the back of my head striking the earth. My ear and neck ached. Feet rushed toward me, my mom's. I'd ended up with a concussion. And apparently, my shoulder still felt guilty. On the surface, this sounded far-fetched. But the faint scent of vanilla wafted from the massage therapist's hands. The candlelight danced on my eyelids. My body had softened and my mind was drifting. Instead of spiraling into thoughts of disbelief, I cataloged the things I'd learned to feel in my body over the last year. Joy, an expansion in my chest, like a rose opening to the sunset sky. Lies, both mine and other people's. A tightening in my throat, thick and gluey. A pending fight. An itch in my nose, usually just one nostril. Creativity stymied. A pinch in my ovary. Being untrue to myself a crack in my left ankle. If I ignored it, my ankle would refuse to support me. It won't be true if I won't. I had learned that emotions lived in every part of me. Apparently, memory did too. My left shoulder remembers dropping me and feels guilty about it. Suddenly, I found I could make that leap. So beautiful. And the prosaic medicine that you just gifted us that really beautiful reminder to of what we spoke of earlier to pay attention dear ones that's the practice today of what's happening in your body and the next 24 hours really really take note more than perhaps you ever have this is the invitation to notice what your body tells you and the stories and the novels that live in your own body and the GPS that can lead you to more, to more profundity and magic in the mundane. So thank you so much, Maya. You were just such a, a breath of fresh air and rich air and 
just complete, complete wisdom. And I just honor you and your work and your journey. And, and I'm so grateful that you were here to, to share about your new book and, and everybody listening, where can folks find out about you and all of the things in your work? Yeah. So my website is just my name, Maya, M-A-I-A, Toll, dot com. Easy enough. Her claimed name, yo. (laughs) 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 So much power in that name. I love it. Well, Maya is so generously offering a seven-day free trial of her Substack subscription unkempt to my monthly members. So if you aren't a monthly member of my amazing Modern Mystic membership, there's over 150 alignment-based yoga classes of all different levels. Really, really powerful practice in addition to meditation practices, breathwork practices, all sorts of mystic hacks where you can learn about working with your own energy in ways we even alluded to today and um, astrology tutorials, tarot tutorials, and so much goodness. So for 33 bucks a month, go to modernmystic.love and you can become a member and get Maya's most generous offering and uh, so many discounts and goodies for you over there. And yeah, you can go to modernmystic.love for my Venus Elite Vibrant Coaching. I have one session opening up for this month and learn to work with your intuition and so many things. This past month, I helped someone launch a podcast. So very practical things I support people with, uh, a lot of spiritual entrepreneurs and high-powered women. So go find her book. Go find her Oracle cards. I love your Oracle cards. And thank you so much for being here with us today, Maya. Thank you, Kilkenny. It's always, always so enlightening and delightful to be with you. Oh, namaste. (laughs) Thank you for taking these words in. I hope they ground, inform, and inspire you on your journey of the mystic path. If you like what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you use. It is so appreciated. Also, check out my website, modernmystic.love, where you can find information about my very exciting monthly mystic membership. My members have unlimited access to a robust video library, which includes short videos that are easily digestible, sharing practical ways to integrate mystical living into your day-to-day life. These compelling videos cover topics such as how to ground, protect, and grow your energy, how to develop your psychic abilities, how to connect to your spirit team, shadow work, inner child work, tarot cards, lots of Western astrology, of course, in addition to syncing up with the rhythms of nature and so much more. I've gotten so much positive feedback that these videos are game changers for folks. Also included in the membership are over 100 alignment-based yoga classes of all different levels, meditation and breathwork classes, So you can work from the inside out or the outside in and up level yourself as you become the next version of you. 
Not to mention my Mystic members get all sorts of bonus content and discounts from my visionary podcast guests. So check out modernmystic.love and take a peek there as there's a free sampling of some videos waiting for you. Lastly, if you are looking for some conscious conversation and compelling community, check out also our private Modern Mystic podcast Facebook group. Keep on meeting the present moment where the magic lives, one breath at a time. Namaste. Namaste.